Hello, 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 and welcome to Canadian Made. My name's Olivia, and each week on this podcast, we go behind the scenes of the Canadian entertainment industry to discover how film and TV gets made and the people that make it. This week on the podcast, we have the esteemed entertainment lawyer and executive producer and my boss, Jordan Namias. So I have to tell you, I was pretty nervous going into this interview, but Jordan did not disappoint. I have to say, I feel as though I owe a huge debt of gratitude towards Jordan for taking a chance on me and bringing me on as an associate at his firm. It's honestly been such an honor and a pleasure working with him, not only because of how much I've learned from him, but also just because of how kind he is as a person. We talk in this episode about the importance of mentorship, and I feel so lucky to have Jordan as a mentor in my career and life. I think one of my favorite parts about this interview is Jordan's tips and tricks for how to actually get involved with the industry. He really breaks it down and gives really practical advice that you will be able to implement immediately about how to network, how to find resources. It's really good advice. He also talks a lot about what it means to be a producer on the more business side of things. And it's a real look under the hood into a role that I think has a lot of mystery in this industry. So if you're someone who's very curious about the inner workings of the business side of the industry, or you yourself are aspiring to be a producer, this is an episode you cannot afford to miss. And as a reminder, although we are both lawyers, nothing in this podcast is legal advice, so please do not take any steps or refrain from taking any steps based on anything said in this conversation. So without further ado, let's get into my interview with Jordan Namias. If you could go back to, I guess, your younger self, maybe it's (laughs) pre-lawyer Jordan or post-lawyer Jordan, like what advice would you give starting out in the industry? I mean, it depends what you're trying to accomplish, but because just getting into the business is very challenging. I guess a few things. One, don't take no for an answer. Hmm. Don't be afraid to introduce yourself have as many coffees and as lunch as many lunches as are needed to make progress always ask for introductions to people and uh read a ton you know if you're if you're interested in the industry read about the industry you know get to know the language get to know the players anything you'd recommend get to know the landscape well you know, there's the usual stuff, Hollywood Reporter, Deadline, Hollywood, uh, Variety. I mean, that's all more American. In Canada, you could read playback. Like when I was starting out, I spent a lot of time reading like everything on the telephone website, everything on the OMDC website, you know, the CMF website, articles by other law, written by other lawyers and other law firms. I managed to find like every like Canadian legal entertainment law textbook. Like there's, and there are other books. I mean, there's a million books on the entertainment business coming at it from every angle. You know, that to me is like really 
key. And, and that's how I learn. I mean, you could, you could probably accomplish the same thing by taking a course. I mean, finding a, finding a really solid mentor. Like I've been really lucky that I've had excellent mentors, excellent mentors in the, in, in entertainment and outside of entertainment and in law and outside of law. That's, that's been unbelievably helpful to me. And like, that's not, not just with my career, like all sorts of personal decisions and life decisions. Having that is really important. It's actually something I think that people don't really do enough of. So that would be another really solid piece of advice that I would, I would pass on uh, only because it works so well for me. Um, If you're someone who's listening to this and you're thinking, I've been trying to get a mentor, like I'm really struggling to find someone who wants to invest in me, what mm-hmm. would you suggest to them that they do to, to find a mentor? Well, first ask, like, so really be, be, be honest and, and just be like, look, I'm looking for now also find, figure out what you need. Do you need a formal mentor mentee relationship where it's like you meet once a month and there's like an agenda, or do you just want somebody you want to call randomly and pick their brain on things? Right. Cause those are two different kinds of relationships. You know, for me, it's always been an informal thing. I've never had a formal mentor mentee situation where we get together once a month and they ask me specific questions and they want to see my progress on things. That's something that for instance, you know, you can certainly have. Usually I think that's like a pay, like I think a lot of times that's a paid relationship. Mm-hmm. So, so that would be something I, I to me has been hugely helpful. Really, really, really helpful. <laughs> Getting into the, it's not the same as it used to be, but like I would, I traveled a lot when I started I went really? to like, yeah, yeah. I, I went to like, I went to Austin every year as a result of something else, but that actually really helped my entertainment practice. For the film festival in Austin or? I went, well, I went to South by for the film component because me and the folk, because when I started my legal practice, I also was involved in starting a film festival in Toronto. Hmm. So we would go to South by to program our festival. Hmm. So we go there every year and that was like, just great. I met like, for me, that's kind of where I thrive. It's what, it's why COVID has been so hard, like cocktail parties, work in a room, you know, that's always been kind of my bread and butter. And, and that's where I've probably learned the most and I've made the most connections. And I just like doing that. Like, so so for me, that was something I really made a point of. I would go to every possible party I could go to. I would go to every possible like industry event I could get into. And I was really lucky that I met so many people who like were willing, including these mentors, who were willing to be like, hey, I'm going to this thing. Do you want to come? Now, it's all, there's a lot of luck. There's no question. But you know, I was pretty bold about it. I really, really spent a ton of time building a network and, and, and like feeding that network. You know, I had a list of people call them every month. What are you doing? What's going on? Can I help you? Do you need, you know, or do you have overflow? Right. Again, that was more of like an, like a legal thing, but truth is, is like, if you want to produce, it's the same sort of thing. Like call up so-and-so and be like, Hey, I want to start doing this. If you have anything extra. I mean, I got a call two weeks ago from somebody and they're like, look, I have this script. Uh, I can't produce this. Do you want to do it? You know, it's make people realize you're available. You know, that's key. I mean, that's all pretty general advice, like entertainment specific. It's just knowing the language, but it's like any business. You got to know the language. You got to know the language. You got to know who to talk to. You got to know what's going on. Gossip is like super helpful. Yeah. Uh, But I think in a way that is like, it is tailored to entertainment because it is 
I think one of the industries more than other industries, that's so much about who you know and the connections that you make and being available for people when they need you to be available. Yeah. I think you're right. Yeah. I think that's big. I mean, like, um, like like our firm slogan, availability, affability, ability. Well, I got that from somebody else. Right. And it would, they're in a completely different profession. Oh, really? yeah, but that was their, like they told, they, they, gave, they, they gave it to me. And, uh, and cause it wasn't their slogan. It was just like kind of their words to live by. And I was like, you know, that's really smart. And like, it's true. Like nobody's going to hire you if you're not available. Nobody's going to hire you if they don't like you. And nobody's going to hire you if you can't do the job. Mm-hmm. So all of those things, you know, those three A's are, are really important. And when you're trying to break into any industry, those are some, if, if you're providing a service, right? Those are some of the things that, you know, three, I think important things that you should be mindful of. If you're, if you're, if you want to be a director or an actor, you know, maybe those are some things you need to consider, but then you also need solid headshots and like, you know, yeah. or, or you need a, a good reel or so it really depends what you're trying to do. Right. And that's yeah. why I, I don't think there's any, that's why I'm being intentionally kind of broad, you know, like my, my approach was always, network, get to know people, make friends if you can, and, you know, don't be a jerk. So if I can be so bold, I've had a little bit of think of the types of types of people that go into entertainment law. And I've come up with two overly generalized categories. I feel like there's a group of people, one half that always aspired to be lawyers and then just kind of had a side passion for entertain something in the entertainment industry. And then there's the other half of lawyers who started as artists and somehow maybe by mistake ended up in law school. And if I can be so bold as to assert that you probably fall into the, the latter of those two camps. Well, I, first thing I would say, I would, there's a, there's a third category <laughs> which is lawyers who don't really want to be lawyers. And that's not, that's not me saying that it's over time. I've met a lot of people who are non-entertainment lawyers and they've, and and I've told them, you know, what I've done for the past however many years. And they've been like, Oh yeah, I always heard that entertainment lawyers are just lawyers who don't want to be lawyers or, or people who want to be producers really. And, and are just using it as a way to get into that. So I'll leave that there. I'm interested in hearing about your EP work and how you started. Like, what was your e- first EP credit? My first EP credit was on a documentary called Stay a While. A friend of mine put me in touch with uh, the, the producer. It was it's a her fa- her family her parents were in like a family band, and and I'm I'm probably getting some stuff wrong. We were introduced and. This was really early. I was probably like two, three years into my legal career. Basically, we said, okay, well, we'll, you know, I'll come on as a producer or executive producer. I don't remember. Yeah. So we did that. And, you know, that was it. Like, I, you know, I was able to use now at the time, bear in mind, I'm like a probably a third year lawyer at the time. Don't really understand the Canadian entertainment business. Uh, I probably don't understand any entertainment business really at that point. You know, I was really just there to guide and, and help navigate, you know, some of the financing stuff, discussions with broadcasters, uh, help her land a broadcaster. In this case, I think CBC picked it up. You know, suggestions with festivals and contacts and, you know, use my Rolodex and whatever. And that, so that was my first EP credit. And then after that, there was, 
I think I got an associate producer credit on another documentary called Four Corners, which is about a group of uh, Jews who live in Ghana. The story goes is like they're the original Jews. So anyway, that was an interesting project. And I was doing the legal work on that. And then I was also helping with a little bit of the kind of, again, production stuff. But, you know, the skill set is helpful for like, there's, you know, a lot of people say like, nobody really knows what a producer does. And yeah, sometimes I agree with that. And, and there's different kinds of producers, right? Similarly, there's different kinds of executive producers. So you can get your executive producer credit as a courtesy, like, you know, you made an introduction or you helped put together some part of the financing or you provided financing, right? Or you played some other kind of amorphous role that helped bring the picture together, you know, whether that was casting or, or financing or sales or I don't know, right? There, there's all sorts of things. There's no you know, hard and fast rule as to who gets that um, and why. But in my experience, the ability to like lend a, um, a critical viewpoint or more analytical viewpoint, maybe, I don't know if, which, which is the right way to say it, but just let's just call it a different view Mm-hmm. on the way things are being handled on a show, bearing in mind, of course, the mechanics of the financing and the rights and, and everything that is sort of needed to get it going or, or to make it work. Like that is how it's been really helpful to bring, you know, that legal skill set to production, right? And to executive producing. Well, that's sort of interesting because I think that some executive producers and certainly a lot that I've had on the show who've been like writer, director, executive producers have mm-hmm. a totally different experience being an executive producer than than you do because I've watched you be executive producers in quotations mm-hmm. on so many shows. And, and <laughs> even I don't necessarily understand the line in which legal stops and your executive producer hat comes on, you know, the lines are extremely blurred. So yeah, they they are. Yeah. They're totally blurred. Is there something maybe that you can say about being an executive producer on projects that you feel like it sets it apart from just being legal? Is there a certain extra guidance that you give the clients in those, in those instances? The way I see it is that if I'm EPing on something like, I'm, I'm much more invested in it. It doesn't mean I'm not, as, I'm, I'm not invested if I'm just providing legal services, right? The, the level of like connection or attachment or um, the relationship between me and the producer is different, right? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, I'm not the producer. I don't own the project. So I'm not really, I'm not in that boat, but I'm not just a service provider either in the sense of like, look, here's the... Uh, no, here, here's the deal, right? Like here, I'm closing your cast deal, right? It's kind of interesting because a lot of the time, a lot of, there's one lawyer I know who will remain nameless, who's not in Canada. I don't, yeah, he's not, he's not Canadian. He takes an executive producer credit on every show he works on. Hmm. And I think it's because he just, I don't know. I've never discussed it with him, but I think it's just because like his view on it is just, I'm just going to treat you and your project like uh, I'll, I'm going to treat every project the same and I'm going to make my entire Rolodex open to you and I'm going to help you find your financing. And, and, and like, that's not what, like a lawyer does not help finance a project. Like, I mean, it's, it's not part of the job description, really. We help in the sense of we'll help close the financing. And to the extent that somebody were to ever ask me, like, do you know anybody maybe who might be able to do this? Sure. Right. Like I'm not going to hold out on people. But 
but at the same time, that's not usually part of the, the role, right? So you're, so, so there's this reputational investment that you need to make, right. As an EP, um, which is slightly different than the reputational investment you make as just providing the legal services. Right. And also like there's a level of entrepreneurialism or risk that comes along with the, with the executive producing that, you know, you're not necessarily doing on the legal side. Like, remember a lawyer's job is to mitigate risk. I mean, basically, um, there's a lot of other things to it, but effectively we're mitigating risk. When you're producing, you need to be willing to take on more risk. Maybe you're not mitigating every risk in that case. Maybe you're actually willingly taking on more risk. It's one of these things where, you know, maybe that e- that lawyer EP role kind of fits in there in between. It's not, honestly, it's not an easy thing to answer because to tell you the truth, I'm not I've never really even really been sure myself. So in terms of being an executive producer, do you uh-huh. have a part of it that you that you enjoy the most? In all those circumstances, what I've enjoyed the most about it is is being involved in more like like doing more than just answering whether is this contract right or wrong, you know, or you know, what's this risk, right? It's 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 more, you know, I've always enjoyed the other stuff like okay, let's figure out where can we shoot this, right? Like Let's figure out who should we be casting? What do you think of the script? How do you think we can change it? So the more the more creative decisions, they all tie into legal decisions, right? Mm-hmm. Like but they or you know, but they're but they're they're much more business based. And that's that part is what I enjoy. That now there is a need for me to also be involved on the business side. So looking at the budget, looking at the financing, saying like, figuring out, okay, like, do we have to cut this cost or, okay, that financier is out. We, now I need to go look for somebody else, right? That part's interesting. Generally speaking, as a lawyer, I wouldn't do any of that, right? The producer would be the one responsible for that. So when I'm involved on the production side more heavily then and, and rendering services that are not, you know, quote unquote, typical legal services, then yeah, I would, that, that's, that's what I like. You yeah. know, like right now I'm working with a friend of mine on a script and he's doing all the writing. I'm, I'm providing notes, but he's doing all the writing. And then, you know, we'll, um, we'll eventually try to find some money. Right. So that's, that's me just being in a producer role, you know, just like, okay, great. Find out who can we sell this to start approaching actors you know, that sort of thing. And when you say like that too, it makes sense that so many producers start in legal because what I found starting with you mm-hmm. is that you get a really fulsome sense of everything that has to happen because you are engaged in every single aspect from development, from acquiring the rights till the very end of, you know, distribution and dealing with the distributors and all that back end stuff. So mm-hmm. it's actually a I think a great education on just how the industry works. And so then you're really well situated to come in and, and have opinions about uh, the business side of things. Yeah. Yeah. As long you know, so if, if you see in a, if you see enough deals, you know, it's cause it's a lot of it's based on volume um, and experience, which comes from volume and time effectively. Yeah, exactly. So, um, so if you see enough deals, you know, you, you'll get, you'll, you'll understand the, the, the cycle, right? The life cycle of a project. Now, if you work in Canadian TV, you're going to, re- you know, and that's all you do, you'll understand the Canadian TV life cycle. You want to understand, you know, a, a, like a, a, an American studio, you know, feature film, right? There's a ton of similarities, but again, like there's a lot of differences too. Um, you know, being Canadian production council, we are particularly well-suited, you know, to figure out how to finance a project here, 
right? And some of the some of the weird things that you know you need to know about tax credits, telefilm, um, you know, OMDC slash Ontario creates CMF. Uh, you know, there's there's all these things that in other jurisdictions they don't have to think about. It's also really helpful to know all that here because as, as a lawyer, because if you decide to become a producer or not, you know, even if you're just a lawyer, you 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 end up you're a value add to people who need to produce here, right? Um, on the production services side. So yeah, like I don't disagree. It does make sense, right? That you could be trained to become a producer, uh, you know, through being production counsel, but you don't become a producer just by becoming production counsel. Right. No. <laughs> and, and it's because we don't handle all the business decisions. Um, you know, we sit, we sit alongside and work really closely with uh, our clients, but we're not holding the bag as it were. That's where there's a shift, right? That's like a, that's like a mental shift that has to happen. And that's a, it's maybe, you know, in some ways a bit of an identity shift, I think, you know, but, but I do think that like, it's not too far a jump. It's why so many times, so many people have told me, Jordan, just go produce. Right. And I mean, I've never decided to do that, but, but I can't say I haven't been interested in that um, because it makes sense. You know, the skill set is fairly appropriate. Um, but it's not the only way to get to it. Right. Definitely. Definitely. So in your career as a lawyer and as a, as an executive producer, have you had a moment that you thought, wow, like I'm really in the industry. I've really kind of like made it to some degree. Have you had a Hollywood moment in your career? Come on, Jordan, you got to have something. I have Hollywood moments every day in the office, but I'm also like the, uh, the I'm ever really, I'm happy that I'm glad. <laughs> um, this might just be, be me being really hard on myself, you know, like, you I know, think how it is. yeah, it probably is. You were, like, in, no. you were in the Hollywood reporter, like in the summer because float got, uh, picked up by Lionsgate. Yeah. That's pretty cool. You know, I mean, I've, you know, I've, 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 I've received recognition and I'm, I'm very, I'm, I'm very, flattered and I'm happy with all that. And, um, you know, but like, it's, I'm, I come from this weird mentality of like, you can never really, and this is, this is probably crazy, but like, you can never really believe you've arrived because if you do, then, you know, there's, um, then it's like, okay, like you stop trying, you know, that's probably something I've inherited through my family or something. I don't really know. Yeah. You know, maybe I have a chip on my shoulder about it, you know, maybe, you know, maybe I've never really been able to break out of that fake it till you make it mentality, you know, or maybe, maybe I'll, you know, I'll always have imposter syndrome. I don't really know. Right. I mean, look like for sure. Okay. The first time I saw my, the first time I saw my credit in a film. Yeah. Okay. That was like definitely a highlight. Like I was just like, Oh wow, that's really cool. You know? I mean, my parents were like gushing and I, yeah, but I'm, I'm not very good at internalizing positive feedback. Um, which so, I think can be a positive thing because I think that that's also something that's problematic within the industry that people get too, too big on themselves or they think too much of themselves. And it's, it's not, you can't ever get comfortable in this industry because it's one moment you're up and one moment you're down. So I actually, yeah. I do think having a sense of like balance and never getting too high and never getting too low, like they do in baseball, that's like really rewarded in baseball, I think is a really positive attribute. Thanks. Um, you know, maybe I don't, you know, maybe I'm, I'm, I'm more low than high, you know, but on balance, but yeah, I mean, that's kind of how I've, that's kind of how I've always looked at it, but, um, but by no means, you know, not, not intentionally, it's just, mm. 
kind of how I've always been. I um, also have to say that you're the first person to give compliments to other people. You're very, you're very nice about when other people do good work, you're very good to compliment them. So I think you should do that to yourself too. Thanks. Okay. I will, <laughs> I will, I will try that. I could use a little <laughs> more self-compassion and yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I think I am good at that. You know, I, I definitely compliment yeah. other people and cause I know how, I know that that goes a long way, you know? So you want people to feel good about themselves and you want, and, and the truth is people should know when they've done, when they've done something that, you know, either you appreciate or you think is good or is helpful or, you know, whatever. Um, but yeah, thanks. Like when there's a project, if there ever has been a project where you just thought this project is going to go nowhere, we got to, we just have to let it die. And when you know that that's, it's time to let a project go. And then maybe hindsight being 2020, if there was anything you could have done to have actually, if you had done differently, the project wouldn't have died. Well, as a lawyer or as a, as a non-lawyer? Mm, either. Maybe as a non-lawyer. <laughs> yeah. Like as a, as a it's lawyer. It's easier to say that. <laughs> as a yeah, well, I mean, look, as a lawyer, it's not up to me when a project dies. No. It's up to a client. So I can recommend that they drop it or that they maybe put it on the shelf for some time. But that's that's never up to me. As much as I may want the project to die, <laughs> or or it could be a project that I really don't want to die, and the client, you know, is like, look, like we're we're, we're shelving this. There is one, but in my non legal capacity, there is one project uh, I won't name that I was involved with as a producer, and we were in this endless negotiation between one financier, between two financiers and ourselves, and like one financier had the right to approve the other financier's terms. It was just this never ending thing and it was exhausting. And it was at the beginning of COVID too. So the timing was really bad. And, you know, my view on it and we all, you know, luckily my partners on this agreed was look, like just take it back to both parties and just be like, look, we're, we're done. Like everybody needs to just accept this or like we're, the project's over. And it wasn't a bluff per se. We were ready to kind of just like, we thought, okay, if we really put the hammer down, like, cause we were thought we were tired, we were done and we were ready to put the hammer down and they were just like, well, you know, we are, if you guys can't agree or if we can't all agree, then like we're, we're out. And actually that, then the project died. I didn't want the project to die, but I also knew that we weren't going to get any further. And it was just kind of this like, look, let's be clear. Let's just be honest with ourselves there's only so much gas left in the tank on this. Um, so we're going to have to just lay down the the law here effectively, no pun intended. And, and just be like, look, you know, this is as far as we can go. Like, hopefully it works. And you know, they didn't agree. So, so I think that project sort of saw its natural death. Interestingly, it was actually like resurrected for like five minutes a year later. Um, and then we, but we decided like, we decided at that point, like, no, we're, we're done. We're not going to chase this project anymore, which is really a shame. You know, I mean, well, it's not a shame. Like maybe the project was never intended to get made, but lost a lot of money on it. A ton of time, like really, really, really a ton of time was spent on this project. Um, there's actually another project now that I've been working on with somebody. It's still like in the, you know, writing pitch phase, but like, yeah, I'm, at, I'm kind of at the point of like, you know what? I'm not really getting what I want out of this. Um, I'm not sure it has legs. Maybe I should, you know, it's time to let it go. Right. So 
Yeah. I mean, that's like, that's like a lot of things in life, you know, relationships, jobs, there are just certain things where it's just like, is this really giving me what I want, you know, or is this giving me what I need? Um, if it's not, then, okay, maybe it, you know, it's time to let that go or just turn away from it, you know, turn away from it. It will, it, I mean, look, not, jobs, relationships, all that stuff, like they're not the same thing as ideas, you know, ideas don't die. Uh, I mean, relationships and jobs technically don't die either, but ideas, scripts, projects, you know, development materials, whatever that you can shelve those. I mean, you can go back to those anytime you want. Sure. Maybe it'll end up in like development purgatory. It doesn't mean it's gone forever. It just means like, okay, we can always look at it again. And there's no question that that happens like constantly, constantly. Um, you know, content is King IP is everything. Like as long as you have the IP and you can work with it. I mean, I've seen clients work on projects for so long. Like, and you really think like, man, what are you trying to get out of this? It's over. And then boom, all of a sudden something happens. Um, and then it's getting made. That's, that's a com- That's an interesting combination of just like patience, resilience, tenacity, and honestly, like faith, you know, like real faith in the project. Um, and to, to those, you know, to those producers credits, you know, knowing what works and knowing now, of course, you, you, you know, in hindsight, you knew what worked and what didn't, but if you really know, like if you, if your instinct is good and you know that creatively, this is something that's going to work, I just need to keep sticking to it. then yeah, that, that's, that's pretty amazing. Yeah. So beyond having that, that instinct for, I guess, good material, are there certain things that you've or attributes you've seen in producers or clients that you've worked with that they, that the successful, more successful people or the people who are able to push projects up the hill have abundantly there's certain characteristics. So patient, uh, risk, uh, they, they like risk. It's one of the riskiest businesses. <laughs> so you, you, you have to have an appetite for risk. Generally speaking, outgoing, sociable, um, you know, you need to have a desire to meet people. And like, you gotta, I think you need to like working with people. If you're mm-hmm. producing, you're managing, generally speaking, you're managing or, or overseeing teams of people. Um, you got to like people. I mean, it's going to be hard to, to produce anything if you don't like working with people. Um, so I, there's that. And again, not a hard and fast rule. I'm sure. There are many successful producers who hate people, you know, gift of the gab, able to talk creative eye, uh, and, and when I say creative eye, I don't just mean that they know how to read a script and tinker with, you know, provide notes or that they know what to do in the editing room. Um, I, I mean, they are able to think outside the box when it comes to structuring deals, when it comes to finding alternative solutions to problems that, and that's what I think what it really comes down to, you know, keen problem solving skills, mm-hmm. right? Like the ability to see a problem arise because really when you're producing, there's just a lot of problems that are coming up and to stay calm. That's another key one. And to just say, okay, this is the problem. Now, how do we fix it? Or this is the issue. What is a possible solution? So that would be a common thread I've seen too. Do you think that you can become a like the producer if you don't have personal financial backing or ways to get insane amounts of money? Well, as one person told me very early in my career, the cardinal rule of producing is don't spend your own money. Mm. So you better find a way to get somebody else's money. I mean, look at any project we've worked on. 
99% of the time, the producer is not putting their own money in. Now, they might be investing their fees. So that's money that they would be owed out of the budget, but the project still needs to get financed, right? Mm -hmm. And the financing is going to come from a whole bunch of people who believe that the project is going to get made. And I would say that's another big, by the way, just to go back to your earlier question, like you need to be a salesman. Like you need to be able to convince people to invest in your project as a producer. You need to be okay asking for money. So any successful producer does not put any money. I mean, I don't want to say this. I don't want, it's not a rule because if you really believe in the project, then you should be willing to bet your own money on it. And if you bet enough, you'll see a good enough, you'll, you'll hopefully see a great return, right? If it's successful, but you want to mitigate your risk. Like you don't want to just, you don't, you don't want to bankrupt yourself on your project just to get it made. And so you want to defray some of that risk by finding other investors. And that's why generally speaking, it's the, the motivation is to find somebody else to take on that risk. And of course they see upside for that risk, right? Of course. Yeah. It's the only way it makes sense. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's the only way it makes sense. And as a producer, you know, your upside is like, or, or your risk is reputational. It's mm -hmm. of course, all the time you're spending. Um, it's the fact that, you know, unless the movie get, or the show gets finished, like, you know, generally speaking, you won't get paid. And, you know, it's, it's just, it's, it's years of your life for, you know, what is sometimes not very much money. So yeah, like it, that, that's, that's a, that's a different kind of risk. You know, it's different calculus. Everybody looks at this stuff differently. Like this is just my view. I mean, you know, you ask any other producer, you'll probably get a different answer. Yeah. But that's the fun bit. Yeah, exactly. I'm mean, going to ask any other lawyer to get a different answer, right? Exactly. Exactly. And that's why I find it so interesting to, I could literally have the same five questions and ask them in every interview and every interview would be so different. And so that, yeah, I find it really interesting, especially with EP, EP questions, because EP is just like got to be the most elusive uh, role in the film industry just generally, because they, it can be the most hands-on person. It can be the least hands-on person. It can be just so many different people. Yeah. And that's actually, that's one thing that I would say to anybody who's interested in doing that kind of thing, like set your expectations early, you know, like set the rules of engagement because, you know, if production thinks as an EP, you're going to be doing everything and you're going to be involved in every discussion, but your, you know, your expectations as EP are just like, I'm just going to make this introduction. Right. And like, then I'm out, you know, that needs to be set early on because, you know, good fences make good neighbors and it's a really relational business and it's a really relationship based industry. And you got to make sure you keep good relationships because the truth is, is like, it's already stressful enough, right? So when you have a good relationship in place that eases the stress of, of the, you know, of the production or whatever, you know, the development or you know, whatever phase you're at uh, on a show, it's important. Um, okay. So my last question is sort of my favorite question, actually. What Canadian content, it can be recent or old is something that you have to recommend because you like love this particular piece of Canadian content. Well, the drop scene is amazing. It's a film. So it's, it's, but it's, it's Jennifer Baitual and Nick and Ponce, who they're a couple. And then Ed Bertinsky, who's a photographer, oh, like one of the most famous photographers in the world. Really? Yeah. And Anthropocene is, um, uh, it's a documentary made around his Anthropocene photographs and the settings and, and, and the Anthropocene is the, 
um, the name for the current uh, like era, you know, like that we live in. So like, you know, there was the Pleistocene and like, you know, like there's, there's different eras of the world, of the planet. So we're now in the Anthropocene. And so, you know, his, Bertinsky's work historically is, is photography that sort of depicts it in, in pretty clear terms, like how humans impact like the actual landscape. So it's really interesting work. Perfect. Well, that's all my questions for You're, coming on, Jordan. I'm so impressed. Thank you so much for listening. And don't forget to follow us at Canadian Made Podcast. And until then, we will see you next week.